We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. This is Tom Leander, and you're listening to the Timeline Podcast with Mike and Sam. He elevates and detonates. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam, as always. Sam, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. Uh, coming off a loss yesterday. It's the first time we've recorded after a loss in a while. <laughs> and and it doesn't bother me that much. Um, no. You know, I don't think we plan on talking about it for, for a long time here, but it's just one of those weeks. You know, when you win 17 out of 20 games, I think uh, you're entitled to a couple of, to drop a couple of games every once in a while. So yeah. as long as it doesn't become a pattern, I, I think we're still looking pretty good here. Second place in the Western Conference. I think, I do think just from a playoffs looking forward perspective, Indiana ha- like poses a lot of the problems that the Lakers will for uh, the Suns if they, you know, if they ever do match up against the Lakers in the playoffs where they just have a really they have multiple front court players that are big and then they have other offensive players that are still excellent beyond that. So um, where the Pacers have better guard play, I would say with Brogdon, mm-hmm. you know, obviously LeBron <laughs> is the guy that's the difference in the, in the Lakers. I just think matchup wise, the Suns are still struggling, I think against teams that, that are a little bit bigger, you know, they killed on the offensive boards. I think it sort of evened out by the end of the game, but it was a little too late by that point. Um, still an interesting game and still things to talk about, I think, for, for going forward. Yeah, look, in- Indiana played a tremendous defensive game. The reality for the Suns right now is we rely on Devin Booker and Chris Paul, right? And they yeah. shot 11 for 30 combined in that game. Yeah. You're not going to win too many games when those two guys give you that. But I think mostly it's credit to, to the Pacers. You look at their entire guard rotation 
and it's Karis LeVert, uh, first of all, made his debut, Malcolm Brogdon, Justin Holiday, TJ McConnell, just kind of top down. All of the guys they play at the guard spot are are relentless. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a rotation of Javon Carter's in a way. And uh, and I thought they did just a really good job of throwing throwing the Suns off their game. Um, yeah, I, they're 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 a team to be respected for sure. Yeah, you can't really survive both both Chris Paul and Devin Booker just kind of being not good. <laughs> and you know, Devin Booker. As bad as I thought he started the game, I'm a little, still a little concerned. I think there's a chance that his knee is just bothering him a little bit. And one for six from the three-point line, he can do that and still have an efficient game. Like, we've seen that before. But in this game, it wasn't really the case. He was uh, struggling from that mid-range and, and, and missed some shots at the rim. Ended the game nine for 20, but, you know, 20 shots on 20 points, not ideal for Devin Booker. He can have 35 on, on 20 shots regularly, so... Obviously, he needs to be a little bit better for them to succeed in that scenario. And Chris Paul, 2 for 10, probably the worst shooting uh, game for him on the Sun so far. And, you know, credit, I want to give credit to the Pacers, too, uh, for how well they played defensively. That's the type of game where if the Suns could be locked in like that for 48 minutes the way they were locked in, they could beat anyone. And I, I think the Pacers were locked in in a way that they could beat anyone, too. For the Pacers, I think they'll be really interesting now that Karis LeVert is back. I'm looking forward to watching them a little bit more. It's a weird thing where you can't judge that team by their record at all because they made a huge trade. They lost one of their best players, and then they just had nobody in that spot for a while. They basically traded for nobody, and now Karis LeVert back, and it could be really interesting. Yeah, they've had to suffer a decent amount of adversity, too, in general, like Miles Turner breaking his his pinky, I think it was, Um, and then coming back like a week later and playing just as well is still something that blows my mind (laughs) about about their season. So it's And even T.J. Warren. No TJ yeah, Warren. Yeah. Pretty pretty fascinating. He's, They're going to be fine. really interesting. <laughs> he can score. He can score. Uh, he's, look, he's better for them than he ever was for the Suns. So True. Uh, <laughs> I'll give him credit there. The main interesting thing, and the, and the main thing that we have to talk about from this game is Dario Saric has now closed three out of the last four games. He finished the game. Uh, in, in, in scenarios that I think made sense for him to finish, the question I think for us going forward is, how often will it make sense for him to play and close out the game. In the past, I've talked about that Dario Sarge could close games depending on the matchup, and I think you know that may still be the case going forward. At this point, it's it's just become a really interesting conversation as far as like who the best players for the Suns are, and I think this is credit to James Jones and what he's built. The team is deep enough that you can have different guys close in different scenarios. The question will be when. Does Dario Saric close, or has he played well enough that Monty Williams is sort of forced to close him as much as possible to see how far that can go? Even in this game, where they were significantly outscored, he did his magical thing where somehow while he's on the court, the Suns outscore the other team, even against starters, which he closed the game. I'm not sure how much this is going to stay. I have have some thoughts on it, but what did you think about, not just this game, but just Dario Saric closing in general? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it reflects a conversation we've had in the past about Dario is playing um, sufficiently well enough. You know, he was averaging like 18 minutes per game going into the All-Star break. And I think I said either last week or the week before, that's that's entirely too little. Um, I would like to see him get up to, you know, the 24 to 25 range at, at a minimum, I think is something he's capable of. Now, I didn't necessarily think 
not that I didn't want him to uh, to close games, but more that I, I guess I questioned whether Monty was actually going to go through with it. I thought if he was going to bring Dario's minute totals up, maybe what he was going to do is give us more of those um, two big lineups with Dario power forward and, and eight in at center. Mm-hmm. And to that point, we saw a little bit of that against Indiana, and I thought I thought it was okay. Um, you know, not spectacular one way or the other. I definitely think you can survive with those lineups. Um, him closing... A question of, uh, should we do it? I think against a lot of matchups, it makes sense. A question of, will we do it? I I think uh, Monty kind of already answered that question too. I forget, and I apologize because I forget which reporter asked this, but one of the reporters asked this uh, after last night's game, and he said, you know, it'll be something we look at sometimes, but my understanding is at this point, Monty is pushing back on the idea that it's going to be a regular option for yeah. him. I think the idea is still he wants he wants DeAndre Ayton playing those minutes most of the time. Yeah. And Dario will get his chances. Um, you know, but I don't I, I guess I just don't expect it to be the go to uh from now on. Yeah, the, I thought the words he used when he was asked that question were interesting. He said, I hope that I don't have to do that. <laughs> That's interesting. Which, I didn't I didn't hear that. Yeah, you know, I hope that's not the case or something like to that effect. Basically saying that um, Aiton needs to play better in order to get those minutes. It, that's that's what it sounded like to me. And I think and that's, that's the fair. key takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, I, you have to earn those minutes. You have to have to earn those minutes. And if the t- if you know, look, we're, we're at a point of the season where the sample sizes are large now. Like we're not dealing with small sample sizes anymore. And the fact that Dario Saric is still currently the best player in net rating in the NBA who's played actual minutes this season, that matters. That means that when he's on the court, good things happen. If you want to quantify it other ways, you can. You can quantify it other ways. Look at the per 36-minute stats. Dario Saric versus DeAndre Ayton at this point. DeAndre Ayton scoring 16.8 points per 36 minutes. Dario Saric is scoring 22 points per 36 minutes. Like, And, and this is a, a, a scenario where Saric is basically getting 12 minutes less per game then DeAndre Ayton, but on a per minute basis, he's scoring more. He's assisting more. Really, the only cases you can make are the big, you know, being big, rebounding. The rebounding. That's what and it, yeah, That's what it is. And it's like, that's where and, DeAndre Ayton succeeds and 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 surpasses him. And you need that, especially against certain lineups. And defense continues to be a mystery. Uh, like the eye test, usually I think would say that. DeAndre Ayton is a better defender, but again, like how long? No. Can, well, I, well, that's why I was, and, and that's kind of where I was going. Like, how long can you really continue to say that if if the stats say what they are? You know, I think um, Steve Jones Jr., who who runs a, a fantastic pod with uh, Nikias Dunk at the Dunker Spot, was watching back the Portland game, the other game that happened this week, the other day, and and he was just shedding some insight. He's a former assistant coach. He's he's just a, a go-to Twitter follow of mine for basically anything he has to say about X's and O's. Um, but just kind of picking out little things about Aiton's game that concern him from a defensive standpoint of right. Dario tends to start in the right spot and and just those little decisions that he has to make that take a matter of of kind of milliseconds of reacting to something and if you make the wrong reaction you you don't get to a certain spot in time and you know a guy blows by you or you miss a backdoor cut or whatever just he was noticing that dario tends to be in the right spot from the get-go more often and it's really hard it's really hard for even me as someone without a high highly trained level of basketball knowledge right like without an official training it's often hard to to really see that stuff but it it's something that i pointed out after the portland game as well uh it's it's essentially it boils down to 
DeAndre Ayton's decisions sometimes take a split a split second longer than Dario Saric is to make. And that comes with experience. Like DeAndre Ayton absolutely True. can get better defensively um, at, at points of his career. But right now, Dario Saric is in the right spot more often than not. And athleticism can only make up for that so much. Something that I think to an extreme yeah. is is proven by a certain Damian Jones uh, showed us that yeah. earlier this yeah. season. <laughs> a different type of athleticism. But, you know, being a leaper... Uh, won't necessarily save you if you're if you're three seconds late. Yes, at, at some point you have to contextualize the what the stats say. I think it's it's uh, to an extent, Sam. It's our jobs to kind of do that as well as we possibly can on this podcast. And I think a lot of it has to do. It's not just just being in the right spot at the right point of time. Uh, I do think a little bit of it is scheme to an extent where uh, Monty does trust DeAndre Ayton to where Dario Saric tends to show on pick and rolls. And for those who don't know what that means, that means he pushes out on the guard and then he drops back to the big as quickly as possible. Basically, stopping them from shooting behind the screen and running back to it. Monty is more trusting of DeAndre to switch on to guards. Now, Mm -hmm. why that's the case, I think, does matter. Is it because he trusts Dario Saric to run back to... Basically, when you're showing, when you're running a pick and roll defense that is essentially showing so it's like hedging on screens and and running back to you're you're showing an extra man at the defender that's the entire point of of what you're doing yeah yes you're juggling two things at once at that point because there are scenarios when you show where you're forced to switch and you have to recognize that switch quickly you also have to run back and when you're running back to the to the defender or to the uh, offensive player that's rolling to the rim you have to block the passing lane. You have to ensure that he's not capable of sealing off and getting the ball in front of you. There's multiple things that you have to juggle when you're showing. Whereas a switch, you're switching. <laughs> like You have one responsibility at that point, and it's stopping the guy that's in front of you. Aiton is going to be better at switching in most scenarios because he is capable of moving his feet faster. And he's still a large body that makes it harder to shoot. Uh, so there is a question of, can DeAndre Aiton do what Dario Saric is doing a little bit you know better in some scenarios and to this point uh not 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 often do you see him do that i think that the switching for for deandre and is by design based on what he's capable of doing right now and i think for deandre and we've seen it before when he has a limited role on defense like when he has to just stop Giannis, or when he guarded lebron we all remember when he did that he does well i think when it gets a little bit overly complicated it's still just a little bit beyond where he is mentally right now. And that's that matters a lot right now because the Suns are going to the playoffs at some point this season. And when they're in the playoffs, they're going to be against coaches that are going to be game planning around that. So mm-hmm. I think for Monty, trying to close the games with Dario Sarts now is a test to see if Dario is capable of taking what he's doing against bench players and starters, like I don't want to make the point right. that Dario is only playing against right. bench players because he's not. That's really not the case. And seeing if that can at- translate, even if it's cut in half, <laughs> like even if Dario Sarge has like a plus 22 net rating right now, even if that's cut in half, that's still a, a great team, a great net rating for a player. So if he can translate some of that against starters, I think that's going to matter and, and a lot. Realistically, that's what it will be because plus 22 net rating, like over a large sample size of say a guy plays 2,000 minutes in a season, 
would mean he's on the greatest team of all time. And the Suns are good, but yeah. they're not that. Yeah. The second right. best net rating on the Suns right now is Cameron Johnson. He's at a plus 11, literally half of what Sharich is. So yeah. as the season progresses, that number for Sharich will regress because it's it's just how statistics work. But if he's still a plus five or a plus 10, that's that's a very good player. You, you exactly. Still, you still gladly take that. And look, Especially against better players, like against right. closing lineups. And and the bottom line here is I don't think it's uh, DeAndre Ayton is playing so poorly that, you know, he's losing games for the Suns. Obviously, it's, it's just Dario Sharich has been that good. And we're at a point, uh, if you look around the Western Conference and, and kind of sniff around the standings, you've got teams like Utah starting to show a little bit of vulnerability. Uh, they've lost five of their past nine. Uh, so maybe for the first time all season, Utah showing showing that level of vulnerability. Donovan Mitchell continuing to shoot sub 40% from the field in four straight games now. They've dropped three of four in March. Um, but other teams, Denver climbing up the standings. The Lakers, are we're still waiting on, on Anthony Davis to come back. Uh, the, the time to strike for the Suns is right now. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they're playing... They're within reach of the number one seed. They could potentially get it. But development right now, player development, is the last on 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 my list of things to prioritize in the second half of the season for the Suns. They're all about winning. And when it comes to this conversation, that just means the better guy earns the, the rightful amount of minutes. So yeah. far, that's been Dario. Yeah, and if you can have home court advantage, that could matter more in the playoffs. Who knows? There might be crowds, significant crowds, by the time the playoffs come. And that would matter. Home court advantage matters. That means winning games right now matters. The Suns are within striking distance of the number one seed. That means that they could hold home court for the entire playoffs if if they are able to hold on to that for the rest of the season. And that will matter, you know, especially if you get matched up against Utah at some point. Utah is in uh, a place with higher altitude, which benefits them. They're more used to that. And I should or say, Denver, I should even, you know, another yeah. team that that applies for. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I should say just with DeAndre Ayton, too, I think another place where we need to watch uh, is what Portland did I thought was kind of fascinating because Portland specifically has really good guard play and there's a chance that the Suns match up against teams that have really good guard play. Portland can get extremely good if everyone's healthy and plays like they did before they were injured, which for Nurkic, I have a feeling may not be the case, as bad as I feel for saying that. But CJ McCollum, I could see it happening. They were screening DeAndre Ayton over and over and over again. And I thought that was especially interesting because what they're trying to do is force him to make as many decisions as possible in a short period of time. And if you're forcing him to make as many decisions as possible, that's where mistakes can come. And that that, that can happen for everyone, right? It's not just DeAndre Ayton. It's essentially anyone that plays against that. And what the Suns need to do, what DeAndre Ayton needs to do and what Monty Williams needs to do is find a way to simplify that as much as possible for him right now because I think the more you complicate it, the more difficult it's going to get for him to stay on the floor. I don't know if that means just playing a more traditional drop coverage like Rudy Gobert and just forcing the guards to fight over those screens as much as possible. I'm not sure that that works with like Devin Booker, for example, <laughs> fighting yeah. over those screens. Or, or as you know, you you match say you match up against Damian Lillard again. He's just going to shoot behind that screen every time. Right. That makes it I, really difficult. I just don't love that. You know, I I think what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to take the Suns' defense, which has already been very good. It's a top ten defense, and and talk about ways to perfect it. Um, when you know sometimes we need to acknowledge that it's it's still good. Yeah, we're still starting yeah. from a place of good. 
you know, so my concern with something like drop coverage is you, you if you play a bum ass team, you can run a drop coverage, you know, a team yeah. that can't hit a pull up three. <laughs> but that go down the line, uh, the list of teams that you could potentially see in the playoffs in the Western Conference of the first round that you can run consistently a drop coverage against, I think is very few. You can maybe experiment with a zone a little bit. They haven't played much zone this year at all. No, um, no. Not, I mean, and it's not something that you could ever use as a primary. I'm just thinking back to our conversation last week about when you were talking about Nick Nurse kind of throwing everything under the sun yeah. at teams on that on that uh, that Raptors run to the finals. Um, I, I kind of think what the approach they're taking with Aiden. I mean, really, if you want to simplify it the most, that is switching. Like, like that's the whole point yeah. of switching. Yeah. Is it's impossible to make a mistake if you just have the understanding of. Yeah, we're just going to switch. <laughs> um, but but I kind of feel like the approach they're currently taking with him is, for the most part, the right one. And yeah. we just have to accept that there are going to be some warts and, and some some learning curves. I think that's an excellent point, specifically because it's just so different for you and I to have the conversations that we're having now where we're specifically talking about game planning against playoff teams. And just that conversation is, is just such a drastically different conversation from where we were at previously. I mean, a year ago, we were, yeah, we were just talking about achieving a level of competency. Like the Suns could run a drop coverage all season last year. And in fact, they did for, for much of the yeah. season. And Aiton excelled as a rim protector. He, he dropped his, you know, percent allowed within five feet of the rim or whatever that stat that everyone likes to quote including myself because it's useful for rim protection he that stat went drastically down he improved as a rim protector and like that was enough for the suns to beat enough of the bad teams or okay teams where they had a competent record but it's just the the things that you can kind of get away with now switch as you talk about game planning for the best offensive players of their generation many in nba history yeah and here's the real truth, too. Obviously, matchups are going to matter more than anything in the playoffs once we get there. And that's why DeAndre Ayton is so vital. Uh, it's it, the, the, the teams that really can hurt you, I think, are like the Clippers can really hurt you in scenarios like that. Um, I think the, the Nuggets can have scenarios where they do hurt you like that, but you still need DeAndre Ayton on the floor to guard a guy like Jokic, that's where it's going to matter. With the Lakers, you need Aiton to guard guys on the Lakers. So it's nice that the Suns have the flexibility to do that. And I think that's what's important to talk about in this conversation here. Because while Saric is closing in scenarios right now, there he can't do it against everyone. And I will say, no. he's stronger, I think, than a lot of people give him credit for in that he's capable of guarding the post. But a fully engaged DeAndre Ayton is capable of getting rebounds and stopping guys at the rims in ways that Dario Saric cannot. And that's going to matter at some point as I mean, long as we can get him fully engaged. How much does Dario weigh? Like 230, right? Oh, or, yeah, more than you would think, yeah. <laughs> he weighs 225 according to his basketball reference page. That that feels like a little bit less. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't believe that, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, but the point is, you know, there's a difference from him starting in a place where he's matched up on Jokic. Jokic gets the ball in the post, and he just has to kind of absorb those hits into the chest. He's very good at that. But it's a little bit different than when Jokic gets a bit of a running start, like if he's at the elbow and really puts his full weight into a guy like Dario Saric versus a guy yeah. like DeAndre Ayton. He's gonna Jokic is gonna get a lot further, a lot closer to the rim, putting that elbow into Saric. Um, there's yeah. just some hits that I don't think he can absorb. Especially again, we're talking about a guy who's playing 20 minutes per game this year. Asking him to do it 30 to 35, matching up with someone like Jokic consistently, would take so much out of him in terms of also what you can ask him to do on the offensive end. So there are some matchups you you need Ayton to bring the physicality because. 
you can only expect so much from Dario. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's where the conversation sort of comes back to the Suns will go where he can take us as much as possible. Uh, and, you know, it. I, I credit Monty Williams for trying this. I think it's really important. Statistically, there's a case that Dario Sarge should be playing as much minutes as possible. And you got to test that out. You got to test that hypothesis now while you can. And, you know, I'd say for the most part, it's worked. I'm not sure that any lineup would have beaten the Pacers in the game against the Pacers. But beyond that, uh, he was a vital part of the previous few wins. So, you know, it's a good test right now. Uh, Let's see. It'll be interesting to see if he closes in the next few games. I'm just doing a cursory glance at the next few games. Memphis, Minnesota, Minnesota next week. So you yeah. you need <laughs> see we're we're chill right now because we yeah. just lost one game. Um, but the Suns need to handle business these next few games. Looking ahead yeah. a little bit, like if you dr- start dropping games against Minnesota, that's when you know the the alarms are going to start ringing <laughs> online on yeah. Suns Twitter on Reddit. Everyone's going to be freaking out, especially because I don't know if you've looked ahead at the schedule, Mike. But there are stretches once you get into April. April, yeah, April's oh, the my. month. There's there's a terrifying stretch. Let me pull it up real quick, just so people know yeah. what I'm talking about. There's an eight game stretch, in particular in April, which is here it is. It's San Antonio, Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, Brooklyn, Knicks, Clippers, Jazz, mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. like you know you get stretches like that where it's like the easiest team you play is 500, and then you play like yeah. six teams that are contenders. <laughs> it's yeah. like oh my god! So yeah, you yeah. need you need to handle business against Minnesota. You're getting a back to back against Minnesota at almost full health. We hope Cam Johnson is back soon. We we I know he's still out tomorrow against uh, Memphis. Um, but you need to handle business uh, this week for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that will be the month where we see uh, most clearly how certain playoff teams will game plan against the Suns. And I don't know that there's any real coaches that were playing in that specific stretch that are the type to sort of hide things from you before a playoff matchup because uh, a lot of those teams, the Suns actually haven't played that many times. So I think we're actually going to see specific game plans and i think the statistics do actually say that you kind of want deandre to switch right now uh, so, so we'll see if that's the type of thing that they attack on a on a regular basis um it'll be a really interesting st- i think for for people listening to this the things that you should watch for is dario Saric, his movement on defense in multiple actions now showing what i'm talking about on on pick and rolls but watch what he does after the show watch what he does when he's retreating back to his man because i think that's an important thing to appreciate uh how to contextualize the stats i think with his net rating and with deandre and watch how they play him on pick and rolls see if they experiment with a drop coverage i think these next three games you could probably experiment with that a little bit the next more. three games they could sleepwalk through with a drop coverage and win yeah yeah, maybe Absolutely. they won't. And, and if they do switch, you know, watch if they try to put him in multiple actions. These are not the types of teams that will scare you into that. In the future for playoff teams, you can watch it. But we'll see because Monty now has a chance to try a few different things. So we have a few games to do that. All right. You had something that we have not <laughs> done in a while that you want to cover before we get to our fake trades in the last half of this episode. We're going to do a segment that we have not done in a while. It's called Cold Take of the Week. The cheese is cold. <laughs> All right, Sam. I ha- I actually don't know exactly what you're going to cover. You briefly told me, but I am not familiar with this story. So I'm looking forward to you breaking it down. 
Who do you have for cold take of the week this week? First of all, thank you for the lovely intro. Uh, Not much of a story. I just thought it was time to bring back this segment because it's finally come full circle in a sense. This for longtime listeners of the pod, this is a segment that we haven't done in a while. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, because the Suns used to be really bad, and every week some member of the national media would have a a take crapping on Devin Booker. Like, this is when we first started the pod back in 2018, 2019. We were doing this every week. It was like, okay, Nate Duncan uh, had something to say about Devin Booker this week. Ben Ben Golliver the next week. Yeah, whoever, you know. uh, And and we don't do that anymore. Part of that is because self-confidence is a thing. You know, the the Suns have, have had their glow up so to speak. We've had our collective glow up as a fan base. We're second in the conference now. You can recognize to an extent when you're a bad bitch and kind of let the criticism fall fall by the wayside. But the other reason is because, you know, you just don't want to constantly be negative and, and focusing, giving attention to, to all of the criticism. I did want to call out this one. You heard the intro there for the segment, Cold Take of the Week. It's, of course, Charles Barkley talking about the cheese is cold. And my Cold Take of the Week goes to <laughs> Charles Barkley for something he said on Inside the NBA this Thursday about the Phoenix Suns, and he was being very complimentary to Chris Paul. He said that Chris Paul, and I'm sure many of you have seen this, it was circulating around Twitter as well, he said Chris Paul should be in the NBA MVP conversation, and he was adamant about it. Cold take of the week to Charles Barkley. The reason being, of course, this was a a, a lovely show uh, of support on Barkley's part for the city of Phoenix. Um, and we all respect him for it. But this is what I warned people was coming, that a lot of members of the national media, specifically the ones who don't pay very much attention, were going to kind of overextend themselves a little bit once they noticed that Phoenix was creeping up the standings in mm-hmm. how much recognition and credit they give to Chris Paul for the improvement that's happened this year. And, and to be clear, Chris Paul has been fantastic for the Suns this year. He deserves a ton of credit for the change that he's he has allowed to happen. He absolutely deserved his all-star spot. I was adamant about that just a couple weeks ago. I was very happy to see him in the all-star game. MVP is a step too far, specifically <laughs> because, and it's not about that I, that I want to deny Chris Paul credit. It's that I don't want to discredit what Devin Booker has done for right. this team and the, the leap that Mikhail Bridges has taken and right. you know the job that Dario Saric and, and DeAndre Ayton are, are doing, Jay Crowder. You know, there's so many moving pieces here. This is a team. It's a very good team. And the guys currently on this team, numbers one through eight, you know, specifically the Suns have two worthy all-stars on this team, but the guys number three through eight in the depth chart, mm-hmm. I think are as good and can go toe-to-toe with with the similar ranked guys, numbers three through eight, on any other team in the league. You start to see a drop-off after that, kind of, you know, those fringe rotation pieces. Some of them have been really good, some of them not so good for the Suns. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. those guys, like up until the first couple guys you get off the bench, have just been so good. Chris Paul, 16 points per game, nine assists per game. He's had a good season, but not not quite MVP worthy. And I just don't want to discredit Devin Booker. So all respect to you, Mr. Barkley, Chuck, but uh, <laughs> cold take of the week. We're bringing it back. And and yeah, maybe we'll put put the segment to bed again for a little while until we hopefully we hopefully we can. Yeah. Come up <laughs> hopefully with a, we don't have to bring it out. Come up with a good opportunity. But yeah, but you know, what do you think, Mike? I mean, this we saw this coming, right? Yeah. Like you said, you said you didn't see the segment. I will no, say I Chuck literally said and it, it just shows you that you have to be wary of listening to these guys too much. They're fun to watch. <laughs> but he, Chuck literally said Chris Paul took the Suns from last 
yeah to where they are so it's like yeah that kind of made something click in my head because i was like these guys do not pay attention and i i've always known this but like these guys they pay <laughs> so little attention to the league right that the phoenix suns finished in ninth place last season to chuck and, and Shaq and all those guys that that might as well be last it really affirmed something for me that it's like to a lot of these guys you haven't arrived until and this is fair you haven't arrived until you've at least made the playoffs in the first place you might as well be last if you're in the lottery and yeah yeah it's just not true like our job on this podcast as people who watch every game and cover this team every week is just to, to be like yeah we we see you we appreciate the chris paul respect and whatever but like no this is actually what's happening with this team the rest mm-hmm. of the guys are really good too yes i want to say just just to credit you here not only are you using cold take of the week to call out somebody who's praising the suns that person who is praising the Suns is the only uh, player that took the Suns to the finals in the last 30 years. So <laughs> shout out to you for extra, the balls the to extra, do that. The extra level of pettiness. Uh, but, you know, I think Suns fans know where I'm coming from. You You're know, right. Nothing, You're absolutely it's right. It's nothing against Chuck. Chuck is a legend. Well, Anytime I see him respect the Suns, it's nice. It's just like these guys have the biggest platform of anyone yeah. in, in NBA media except maybe like Stephen A. Smith or something. You know, yeah. so like... When for I just want him to get it right, and he he didn't get it right. Well, it's actually and I know he's not going to listen to this. It's just it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, somebody can forward it to him. I know it's actually kind of funny too because before the season, uh, we predicted uh, that the the waves of coverage will be Chris Paul first, and then they can get to like Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges. It turned out it was Chris Paul first, and then Mikael Bridges because of how well he started, and then Devin Booker started to get the credit. My next thought was that Dario Saric will be in some stories soon. Of course. The, the man who first wrote about Dario Saric was Kevin O'Connor uh, because he watches the Suns. Uh, but We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's kind of funny that we talked about all that, but TNT, you know, classic TNT is still in that first wave. (laughs) They don't go beyond that first wave because they don't watch enough to actually go beyond that. So they're still in that first wave, but let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to, we're going to throw out some uh, fake trades. We're going to do that. I can't, I honestly, I almost can't believe that we're going to do that. And then maybe we'll have time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll have time to cover some of your guys' because I asked for some on Twitter. So we'll be right back. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. 
Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. ServiceNow Digital Workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow Workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only half the battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow Workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now platform. So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow. Okay, before we get into this, Sam, I want to say just a couple things. I want to talk to you about whether or not we think the Suns should and will make a trade. But before I even say that, I want to say for anyone who likes to get angry at fake trades, just stop listening right now. I, I appreciate you for listening, uh, but this is, I mean, we do a podcast every week. Sometimes we do more than one. Just in tune week. in <laughs> Tune in next week. Just tune in, come back next week. <laughs> just come back next week. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll cover the rumors if there's rumors at that time. We'll cover If those. you've made it this far, it still counts as a download if you leave now. And yeah. It's, <laughs> I waited till after the ad break <laughs> to tell you to stop listening. <laughs> so buy whatever was just advertised to you. Uh, but just you know it's just a conversation to have and i think it's an interesting year to have that conversation because the difference between whether or not they make a trade could be pretty drastic this year in 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 a way that is different than previous years it could be the difference between a first round exit or maybe making the nba finals there are scenarios where a trade could be that impactful this season difficult to come up with trades for this team and i think that's where we should start I personally think the Suns are not going to make a trade. James Jones kind of hinted at that. I honestly just kind of ignore a lot of the things he says, even though he's told us what he's going <laughs> to. He honestly has told Me us too. what he's going to do too. in the past. Yeah. But I just, I don't really, I don't think there's a point to saying, yeah, we're looking at trading some of our players right now. It just affects chemistry. So I know, will as say, a general manager, you should probably just say, no, we're not looking. The Suns have an open roster spot. I don't know why. Yeah. right like if they like i think there's a decent chance that they do something i think yeah. the something that they do is likely to be very boring and you know not something that we can even us to say have like an emergency podcast about you know right the, the sun's brought on uh, a, a 15th man third center well, it depends <laughs> is that pj tucker we might have to have him well, if it's emergency. pj tucker or, or or if aaron bain still gets bought out then we'll right. do an emergency <laughs> podcast but yeah it's like you know damian jones was bad yeah, but there wasn't really a reason to waive him if you weren't, you know. I mean, I guess he's getting minutes on the Lakers now, so good for him. But but you know, that makes me think something is coming on the horizon. But it's very yeah. likely it's very likely to be something small. What we're going to do for the rest of today is we're going to talk about some of the potential small things, but then we're also going to blow everything out of proportion and and come 
<laughs> talk yeah. about some some ridiculous ones too just for yeah I, well i think it's it's important to have the conversations about maybe some of the realistic ones and maybe some of the kind of insane ones because I, I just i don't feel like anyone really has a full read on james jones so far and you know obviously he built the team from where mcdonough left it just sort of a pile of ashes and you know true to the city's name he sort of built a phoenix out of that and right now that's going would, in the 30 for 30 about about this team by the way if they win a championship yeah. Um, yeah. plus or minus you know five minutes into the 30 for 30 documentary before they use that metaphor <laughs> yes i mean you see you see the pun headlines about the suns the rising suns and stuff like that every single week it seems like but uh how a general manager acts right now where the team is potentially a contender or good enough to be considered a contender it's just different than when you're trying to build a good team from scratch, basically. And so we I don't know that we have a good read on him. So we're gonna cover it all. Now I don't think they will where's Jeff Bauer. Yeah. We don't know. I, I don't think they will make a trade. Do you just I mean, you don't have to spend too much time on this, but do you think they will? Uh, no, I I think I answered that a minute ago. Um, okay. I th- I, well, okay. I think they will do something, and I think it's Small. gonna be probably boring. Yeah. I think that's we should, my official answer. We should feel free. To call out Robert Sarver for being as cheap as possible if they do nothing with that open roster spot besides sign a minimum guy after the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't hurt to, to, to pick up someone, right? No. Like, even if it's a buyout thing, it doesn't have to be a trade. Why Injuries happen. Why go into the playoffs with an open roster spot? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Um, but Now, yeah, will if- they make a trade? Uh, it, so there's that. Now, the question is, should they? Uh, I tend to think that they actually should because there's options to actually do here and we don't have to get into that really because i think we can get into that as we bring up our trades i have two i kind of have three you have three fake three. trades right all right yeah. i'm gonna let you go first uh all three your of them? fake trade no just do let's just do one all right so we'll, we'll go back and forth a little bit well here. let me ask you something um rate my professor was that after your time or is that something that no no that, that probably that yeah, i'm v- i'm very familiar with it i'll say that I mean, I work. Why? I work. People who don't know, I work at a university. So, do they still have the? <laughs> do they still have the chili pepper system? I'm not. Wait, sure. Wait, do you do you do you have like an official page? Can I look it up? No, no I okay. hope not. All right, just making sure. <laughs> um, well, anyone who's used rate my professor before, rate my teacher, I think is a thing they have at the high school level too. You can rate your teacher, your professor on a number of things. Um, and and I don't know if they have it any anymore, but at least they have the chili pepper system where it's like you you look at each teachers or professors profile and they've got a certain number of chili peppers next to their name indicating (laughs) how hot they are um so i'm going to use that system for my trades here i've got three trades um on a scale of of up to five chili peppers i would say trade number one is a one chili pepper it's maybe even (laughs) half a chili pepper it's very boring trade number two is like two two peppers and then trade number three is a five out of five so where do we want to start we want to start start, let's get let's get boring first and then we'll get more and more exciting the most the most boring thing I could do here, which is like we don't even have to talk about it, is the Suns have a logjam of guards. They've got too many guards. One need that I still think they could address is go out and get just a Damian Jones replacement, but but someone who's actually playable. Someone who can is insurance behind DeAndre Ayton and can be a physical imposing presence, can maybe even play next to Dario Saric a little bit in some bench lineups. Maybe he'll play, maybe he won't. Um, but to address that need, I hit up the Orlando Magic and I swapped. By the way, I should say all of these trades were vetted in DMs 
with a representative from the other team, just a, a buddy of mine on NBA Twitter in most cases. Um, but so it's not just me, you know, blindly throwing these out. Um, they, they were vetted by someone representing the other team, at least. I hit up the Orlando Magic and I swapped Javon Carter for Kem Birch. That's trade number one. Not very exciting. But I'm happy to explain. <laughs> I'm happy to explain my rationale if you want me to quickly. I, but it's not very no, exciting. Uh, no, I don't. Um, okay. <laughs> can, can I just can I just try to encapsulate what I think your rationale is? He's better than Damian Jones. He's better than Damian Jones. <laughs> yeah. He's well. So here's how, here's why I like it works. him. Here's He's why a it works. Orlando wants to invest in Mobamba, but they've got Ken Birch in front of him right now. Birch is playing like 20 minutes per game this season. He's just a solid backup big he, he's a guy who gives you like 10 and 10 per 36 he's just a big body he's he's pretty athletic he can catch lobs he's not a great offensive player but he's he's a good rebounder he can space the floor out to 15 feet just a rotational big totally playable better than damian jones you know you've you've got a log jam at guard so swap javon carter i look i love javon carter but it's like if you just want another big for the playoffs you could easily do that and you're not really playing javon carter anyway very boring trade, but that's trade number one. I dig it. I dig it. I think that's a nice one. That uh, that's the type of thing that could happen that goes sort of under the radar, but could matter more down the line, especially for depth. Um, I'll be honest. I think my trades are more sort of trading <laughs> that, two two for one. It's it's you know getting sure. rid of depth to try to get better for well, the playoffs. Now so. that everyone is asleep. <laughs> What's well, your first I, okay, trade, so I'm gonna throw two, I'm gonna throw two at you at once here, okay? Uh, because they're very similar. It's essentially, and I'm gonna say this. I feel bad for doing this, but I, when you look at the Suns team and you look at the contracts that they have, the the one guy that makes sense to put in all of these fake trades, and I saw it when I asked for some on Twitter, is Javon Carter. And mm. I don't, you know, people who are longtime listeners of this podcast know how I feel, and long time for us is like a year and a half. But people who are longtime listeners of this podcast know how I feel about Javon Carter. I'm a huge fan. Uh, but he's not getting minutes at this point, and he has the type of contract that makes him tradable for guys that make, say, around $10 million, which right. these two guys that I'm talking about are. I talked about yeah. him last week, P.J. Tucker and George Hill. I don't think George Hill is going to get bought out. I think that my suspicion, just based on how it's played out, is P.J. Tucker's agent is trying to talk the Houston Rockets into buying him out so that he has more of a choice of a team to go to than if he were traded. So that's how I feel about P.J. Tucker. But I still think these two guys should be talked about because what you can do is you can create a trade with Javon Carter and then some other guy. It's a minimum contract that we have, whether that be Langston Galloway, Frank Kaminsky, some other contract in that place yeah. can come up to enough to get either P.J. Tucker or George Hill. So if you're doing George Hill, you can put Langston in there, right? You're doing guard, guard for guard. If you're doing P.J. Tucker, say you put Frank Kaminsky in there. Some people won't like that probably. He's done well, but at some point, I just think his minutes are going to go to zero. Um, Say you do that and you switch them for P.J. Tucker because then you're getting a big. At this point, what we're talking about with this type of trade is whether or not you think the Suns have the pieces to try to make a deep, deep playoff run, which I do. And you're sort of not letting it come down to chance as far as where these guys go. Do you make the risk to get George Hill? Do you make the risk to get PJ Tucker? 
And, I, you know, I, I personally, I'd probably do either one of these. And I, what I would do is I would try to get George Hill and I would hope and cross my fingers and do as many backdoor dealings as possible to try and get P.J. Tucker to be bought out and then see if he's willing to do a BAE, which I don't think he would. But if you can get P.J. Tucker for two years, which you potentially could do. Oh, that's I bet a nice he would. One. I don't know. I, he seems like he wants to make more money. PJ, I mean, he likes to play on good teams. PJ is, I'm in a weird place with him because I respect the hell out of PJ's game. And I obviously am nostalgic about the way he played in Phoenix in his first stint. Um, the way he's talking a little bit, though, uh, I think, you know, he, he kind of has to understand that he gets to choose between playing for a contending team right now or yeah. making a good amount of money and yeah, playing a lot true. of minutes. And he doesn't, he's point. not good enough anymore to get both of those things. Yeah, he's just not that player. And for those who don't know, he sat out a game basically, and the coach, the coach Silas said that they expected him to play, and then he didn't. And it comes yeah. down to he has his him and his agent have been feuding essentially almost publicly with the Houston Rockets since before the season began because they refused to extend him. And then when James Harden was traded, he asked to be traded to a contender, and they did not trade him. They've kept him on the team. The Rockets are bad, like possibly yeah. worst team in the NBA. Bad, and, and PJ has been bad i mean not yeah offensively let me pull up the stats real quick just to demonstrate i mean he's he's never been a guy who takes out a lot of shots right he just sits in his corner and does what he does but this year he's shooting 37 percent from the field 31 percent from three yeah it's just yes. it's just bad those are like and, you, you know, know there's a question of how hard is he trying for a team that he for doesn't sure. want to be on yeah. for sure but but it doesn't take away from the main premise that i have which is i think the only way pj gets 30 minutes per game anymore is if he plays for a bad team and if he wants yeah. to win he's got to suck up being like a 10 minute per game guy because that's yeah. i think that's just what he is now the man is 35 almost 36 years old father time yeah. comes for everyone i think you know? you're probably right at, at especially in the regular season but i think there's a chance that pj tucker in the playoffs all of a sudden is getting 25 to 30 minutes in in, yeah. in a specific series because of the value that he can bring just sort of across the board and guarding different players at different positions yes not as good as he was previously but those are the types of guys on the fringes that make you a title contender not the most important players on your team, but the guys at the ends that are still very good in the playoffs. So he's there. George Hill, we talked about him. We don't have to break it down entirely here. But with George Hill, he can play with multiple players. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a great option there. There are other guards that we can talk about once we get to other people's options there. I'm still sold on George Hill. Not a lot of statistical evidence to say that he's great, but not a lot of statistical evidence to say that he's bad, and the playoff experience is enough for me there. So let's not stick on that one any longer. You got another one, two, the two peppers one or the three peppers one. <laughs> this is this is more like a one and a half peppers. It's okay. still not. It's on the same level of what you were just saying. It's okay. the idea is so the first thing that I addressed we don't have to talk about anymore. The second the second need I'm addressing <laughs> now is the same thing you're doing with George Hill. Get me. We've got a plethora of backup guards. Get me a guard I can trust. Get me a guard who gets buckets. That's what I want. I want a guy who gets buckets for the playoffs because campaign. I'd love to believe that he can sustain what he's currently doing, but in my heart of hearts, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent there. And Galloway more like each one more getting minutes right now is just, he's just not cutting it. So I'm going to go get an upgrade. I'm going to call up Indiana, and I already vetted this one as well. I'm swapping Javon Carter, Etwan Moore, and a future second-round pick for Jeremy Lamb, who's on a two-year deal, including this year, for about $10 million a year. The reason Indiana does it is because they need to sign—they they need to re-sign guys like T.J. McConnell at the end of the offseason. 
Etuan Moore comes off the books almost immediately, so they're going to save about 6 or $7 million in cap this summer if they do this trade. And because they're not playing Jeremy Lamb at, in position that much, they're playing him more at small forward. They've even played some Jeremy Lamb at power forward this year when he's a six foot five, very much a shooting guard. Um, his averages this year, 11 points, 3.6 rebounds, 1.5 assists per game, 46% from the field, 44% from three, 94% from the free throw line. This is a guy who started mm. for, he was a starting shooting guard for Charlotte just two years ago. He averaged 15 points per game in Charlotte for a couple of years. Not a ton of playoff experience, you know, because he's one of those 27, 28-year-old guys who's just played for mostly mediocre teams, but I trust him. Uh, that's that's really the biggest thing here. Just a guy a guy who can you can trust to kind of uh, really I guess the best way I could describe it is he's just Etwan Moore but better at everything. Um, yeah. The defense I would say is just as you know mediocre to bad as as Etwan Moore, but yeah. the offense he he's much more comfortable on ball. He can go and snake the pick and roll same as Booker and Paul. He can hit pull up threes in addition to just being a spot up threat. He can get inside finish with the floater. He's just a guy you can trust to score. And specifically, the thing that excites me about a deal like this, again, it's not a super sexy move, but it's like, I think you could settle on an eight-man rotation in the playoffs. If campaign isn't cutting it, and at any point he regresses, I think you could scale back your rotation to eight guys and just be like, okay, the only three guards we're going to play in the playoffs, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Jeremy Lamb, and Booker slides over to almost become your backup point guard. And it's like Booker and Paul play like 35 minutes. Lamb plays like 25. You pull Chris Paul a few minutes into the game uh, in the starting lineup, like six minutes into the game or whatever. Booker slides over to become the point guard. Jeremy Lamb comes in as your shooting guard. And any time, you're playing more point book this way, obviously. But at any point in the game, you're always guaranteed to have two self-creators in the backcourt. Right now with Etuan yeah. Moore, that's, it's just not the case. Even with campaign, arguably, sometimes they just don't have that level of scoring. Jeremy Lamb gives you that, and and that's why I'm you know potentially pulling the trigger on this move. I um I love it. Uh, well, I love the fit. I will say uh, trades always make me scared to say I like them or I don't like them. <laughs> uh, but I like the fit because I think Jeremy Lamb is the exact type of player that Monty Williams likes. In that uh, they're he's capable of point five. Basically, it's pass, shoot, dribble. Uh, you know, all of that. His, his defense might decision. frustrate him a little bit. I'll admit that that's oh, yeah, the part that's like Jeremy Lamb is not a good defender, but I yeah. think Etwan Moore was never a good defender either. And right. if he looked decent in this system, then I would believe that as long as Lamb is a hard worker, I have no yeah. reason to believe he's not. I think you'd get the same sort of thing out of him. There's just a lot higher of a chance that uh, Jeremy Lamb in, in lineups that have Devin Booker, Dario Sharich and, and Jeremy Lamb, that he just goes off for 18 points a little more often than right. than Etwan Moore would, which in the, in the regular season matters, and in the playoffs might matter a lot uh, when you have that third guy that's capable of going off for close to 20 points at any point. So I, I like that one. I like that one. And, and the one I liked about this one, too, is like there are certain guards that you could go out and get, but you need to give up Jalen Smith. Keeping Jalen Smith is not a major priority of mine, but if I can go out and get a guy who I feel is a decent option while also retaining Jalen Smith, in this case, it worked for Indiana. The guy I was talking to is is actually the guy who runs the Blue Wire Pacers podcast. He really just wants some some cap relief, and they don't care about Jalen Smith. So I was happy to hear that, and I was just going to be like, all right, we'll keep Jalen, and and we'll get a, we'll just consolidate our roster. We're, we'll swap out two guards who are not cutting it for a guard who's a little bit better. It's it's basically common sense. Yeah, I dig it. Is it, is it time to get spicy? 
Yeah, let's get spicy. <laughs> let's get spicy. Is, is it time? All right. I've, I've actually thrown this one out, but I'm really, we've never talked about it. I've thrown this one out as, as a poll on Twitter. And uh, I would <laughs> no. love to hear what you think about this trade and how far you'd be willing to go to get it done. Is I think this the Rashawn Holmes one? No. <laughs> I love Rashawn Holmes. I love Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> Marvin Bagley, I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, it's Aiton and Jalen Smith for Capella and John Collins. So oh, to the Hawks wow. for Capella and John Collins. And I'll tell you this. I think that the Hawks would say no uh, to this trade just just off the bat. But if they said yes, I, I personally would do this. And for those who don't know, Capella is one of the best defenders in the NBA right now by all metrics. Um, he's capable of doing a lot of the things that DeAndre Ayton does, which I think if you trade DeAndre Ayton, you have to get a guy back that's capable of doing those things. What it does is it gives Chris Paul a partner that he's a little has probably a little bit more chemistry with at this point because he played with with Clint Capella in the past, and um, he's still capable of playing great defense, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. It also gets the Suns sort of out of the conversation of what DeAndre Ayton's going to be paid in the future because Capella will be under contract for a few more years. It does get them into the conversation of. What do they pay John Collins if John Collins is part of this trade, which I think is a fair conversation. With John Collins, you could get him for this year. You could try to extend him at the end of this year uh, because he's drafted in the same draft class. If you do not extend him, he has his qualifying offer next year. If he takes that qualifying offer, you cannot trade him, but you still have him in restricted free agency after that. And then the Suns can make the decision whether or not they want to keep John Collins, which I kind of like the idea of allowing him to go to restricted free agency and just keeping him on that QO for two years. Now, you can give your thoughts on on this trade, first of all. John Collins is an excellent offensive player. I know you like him just from conversations we've had in the past. But say they say no. My question to you is, would you slot Cameron Johnson in that Jalen Smith spot to make this trade? Mm. Assuming that John Collins is essentially able to replicate what Cameron Johnson is doing offensively, and then you have Capella in that eight and roll. Is that enough um, for you? Pataz. <laughs> Put you on the spot, huh? Well, first of all, let's talk about it from just this perspective. Eight and Jalen Smith for Capella and John. <laughs> my brain just broke. Uh, let, let me think through it a little bit. You know, I, I, I think John Collins is a really good player. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you need kind of a more massive restructuring of what you're doing with this team, right? Because suddenly a lot of the things that you're doing don't make sense. Like you need more of a plan for, and and these are these may seem like minor things, but it's like when you're so close to being a contender already, you are a contender. And now it's not just you got rid of Aiton and Cam Johnson, but if you acquire John Collins and Clint Capella, suddenly Jay Crowder and Dario Sharge don't make much sense on this roster either long term. Like it feels like one of those guys has to go too. It just feels like there's you gotta move a lot of pieces around if you're gonna. Do I don't that. know. I don't know if that's the case. Don't you think that to an extent, the Suns have already been struggling with finding the right starting power forward, considering I multiple mean, guys have been in that position it so doesn't, far seem like it should be much of an issue to me but for some reason it evidently still is yeah well I'll, hey I'll give statistically it is sam like it, it, at this point you can point at the net rating stats and say true nothing has really stood out no, you're right. as you're the right. right scenario for this the other option the other part that i like about it is we talked about what deandre Ayton's role is at this point it's it's essentially just an energy guy uh, who, who's capable of playing good defense. Well, DeAndre Ayton struggles with effort sometimes. 
if you have an energy guy, you could have Capella who doesn't really struggle with effort at times. If you're switching out just for this season alone, talking about how good they can be. Um, I like that because you have now a guy who's just sort of used to that energy guy role and is more capable of just giving 110% energy at all times. Um, that's I like this trade personally, and I would do this trade, especially if it's Aiton and Jalen Smith. I would do it personally. I feel bad because this is so not fair to John Collins, who's a young player who's still figuring it out. But there is a part of me that feels like John Collins is destined to be one of those really talented 20 point per game scorers who only plays on mediocre teams um and it's again it's not fair for me to say that but it's like from a pure asset evaluation perspective of which guy has more talent because you're banking on if you're punting on deandre ayton's future value which you are doing because you're accepting the sure thing in capella who's going to give you a walking 15 and 15 every night you're yeah. banking on and he John had a collins. 10 block game this season 10 right. blocks right but if you're doing that collins has to make up for it by being noticeably better than than cam johnson and their future projected value if you're putting cameron johnson in there which i think is the part of where you talk about it where maybe i wouldn't do it at that point yeah well sure i mean if it's jalen smith i'd do it i'll just say that right now but john collins is a better player right now than cam johnson and by all accounts is probably projected to be a better player in the future too it's just Uh, i'll tell you johnson's a much better cam johnson is in many he's featured in many of our best lineups this season he's a much better defender than we gave him credit for I don't know if the ceiling is super high, but I just kind of feel like Cam Johnson is playable in the playoffs. You talk about this all the time. Yeah. I feel like Cam Johnson is super playable in the playoffs, and I don't know if I feel the same way about John Collins. It's not fair to John Collins because he's played on some trash teams where it's just yeah. like him and Trey and bums, and like he, he yeah. hasn't been given a fair shake yet. But his thing right now continues to be defense. Does he provide any defensive value to the Suns of the playoffs? Right now, I don't think he does. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think there is a chance that you get him, first of all, playing, trying to prove that he can be a capable player on a good team right before his extension negotiations. And then if that goes badly, then he has one year to prove what he's worth in free agency, which is kind of a nice scenario to have for a player that's basically just entering his prime. But I think that's that's a fair thing to say. The real question is, do we want a player that has a history of uh, being suspended for taking banned substances? That, I think that's a real question there. I'm not sure that we would want that. Shut up. <laughs> uh, it's the P trade. We'll call it the P trade if <laughs> the, it does yeah. go through. All right, you have one more that all I'm right. sure will piss people off as well. Go ahead. Uh, awesome. Um, this is the all-in-to-win trade proposal for me. I've got a couple people on our, our Twitter feeds, man. Let me tell you who I know are going to be super excited <laughs> about this one in particular. This is, <laughs> this is go and get me a third all-star. Give me a big three this season, and let's win the damn championship. It's a three-team trade between Phoenix, uh, Orlando, and Oklahoma City. The Phoenix Suns receive Nikola Vucevic and George Hill. The Thunder receive Jalen Smith and Javon Carter. The Orlando Magic receive DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, Etwan Moore, Darius Miller from the Thunder, and a future Suns first-round pick in 2024. It's the Vucevic trade. And in the process... <laughs> okay, can you just... Real quick, because I know that people are listening to this People audio. are already mad. Can you just describe what is going out for the Suns and what's coming back? So, the Suns are giving up five players and a first-round pick. Those five players are DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, Jalen Smith. Those are the three pieces that I would say are significant. It's two prospects, one really good prospect, one 
We don't know what Jalen Smith is yet. And Jay Crowder, who's a nice rotational piece. And then you're giving up Javon Carter and Etuan Moore, who are whatever. And not that I don't like them, but just practically speaking, they've been whatever. Um, And a first-round pick. You are getting back Nikola Vucevic and George Hill. Now, before people say anything else, whatever you're screaming at your podcast app right now, let me just say, contextualize. Here's what Nikola Vucevic is doing this season. He is averaging... 24.6 points per game, 11.7 rebounds per game, 3.7 assists to only 1.7 turnovers, by the way, which is very, very impressive. A lot of times with these like high usage bigs, you see guys, we saw it with Boogie for years. We see it with Carl Anthony Towns. We continue to see with Joel Embiid. They get assists, but they also rack up three, four, five turnovers. Vucevic is not one of those bigs. He also shoots 41% from three. He's hit more above the break threes than any other player in the NBA, not just center, but he's hit more above the break threes than Steph Curry and 85% from the free throw line. He also ranks eighth in the NBA in VORP ahead of Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, and Bradley Beal. That's what you're getting in Nikola Vucevic. Mm. You're Mm -hmm. selling a lot. You're getting rid of a guy who's been important to winning basketball and Jay Crowder. Now you're going to have to shift Cam Johnson into the starting lineup. Yeah. You're and you also, hope P.J. Tucker is bought out at that point. Right. You're also, you're you're losing, obviously, DeAndre Ayton. You're punting on the future potential of DeAndre Ayton and Jalen Smith. That's a lot of future potential there and an additional first-round pick. But you also get George Hill back from the Thunder, and that's what makes this a really intriguing idea to me. Because if you're not with me yet, let me just sell you on the idea. Let's say, as you just said, Mike, let's say P.J. gets bought out and the Suns are then able to go scoop up P.J. Tucker. If you made this trade, you could have an eight-man rotation. And again, rotations tighten in the playoffs. I'm projecting it's probably going to be eight-man. Maybe it's as many as nine. But you could have an eight-man rotation in the playoffs that looks like a starting lineup of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Nikola Vucevic, three all-stars and two bonafide awesome role players. And then your first three guys off the bench are George Hill, a veteran with playoff experience who can bury threes, P.J. Tucker, don't have to sell you on P.J. Tucker, even if P.J. Tucker doesn't come, I think Abdul Nader, honestly, has proven enough at this point that he could maybe fill that role, too. And, of course, Dario Saric, who we're talking about as a six-man-of-the-year candidate. You need to hope at that point that no one gets an injury. Obviously, you always need to hope for that. But I think that's giving you just three top 30 players in the NBA, mm-hmm. and you become an equal equal favorite, maybe, almost, with the Lakers or the Nets for or the Bucks for winning the damn thing this yeah. year. I, I really think you do. I, l- let me put it to you this way. It, going back to the VORP stat, if the Suns made this trade, they would have three of the top 30 players in the NBA in VORP this season. None of those three would be Devin Booker. It would be Vucevic, Chris Paul, and Mikhail Bridges. Yeah. And then Booker, because he had such a bad first month, doesn't do that well in that stat. He's been climbing up the leaderboards for the past six weeks and probably will continue to do so. That is fascinating and good work by the way because that took i that took some work i can tell well, you well and and you know again i i was almost uh, the only other thing i'll say i vetted it with a magic person i was almost surprised because there's part of me like orlando is getting some cap relief in the form of darius miller who's a nobody for okc but mostly they're getting ayton and a future first round pick and a solid rotational piece in jay crowder which by the way i feel very bad for jay crowder in this and, and they could flip him yeah, I feel very very bad for Jay Crowder because he is a good player and he he believed in the Suns, but I think this could potentially take you to being a, a, a contender. 
And supposedly, I mean, at least the person I ran this by seems to think that, no, that's all the magic would need and they'd be willing to move on from Vooch. Hmm. It's fascinating. Now, I can tell you there's some people right now in their cars or at home with their headphones on screaming defense uh, I know. into their phones. I know. What, do you, what do you think? What's your response to that? My response to that is that you're right in, in one sense. I'll concede to you. I think Aiton is a better defender than Vucevic. I'm not willing to concede that Vucevic is a bad defender. I think he is still a good enough defender to win a championship. And the level of offense you have here with, I mean, Vucevic, frankly, Mike, he just takes everything that's good about Dario Saric and maxes it out to the right. highest possible level. Right. In terms of his playmaking, his his ability to hit the trailing three, his ability to post up and, and act as a kind of center of gravity on offense, to me, it's it's a no-brainer. Like, I think you become competitive with Brooklyn's offense at that at this point if you go out yeah. and get a guy like this. And I think you'd have a better defense than them too. I think the idea of picturing Devin Booker and Chris Paul with that amount of spacing is very exciting. Now, last question for you. Sorry I didn't prepare you for this one, but contract-wise, there's no way to do this with Cameron Johnson instead of Jay Crowder, I assume, right? Because, and here's why, uh, if we're talking about just building the the best possible team for this year, I would prefer Jay Crowder in that starting lineup going into the playoffs because of yeah. his defensive versatility. And right now, let me just say this, three-point percentage, Jay Crowder, 37.6%. Three-point percentage, Cameron Johnson, 37.8%. This is the unbelievable part of that stat. Jay Crowder has shot more three-point attempts than Cameron Johnson by 20. Uh, so, you know, higher volume and basically the same. Uh, and yeah. I know net, net rating says Cameron Johnson is better. So I think that that's on your side as far as playoffs. But we've seen that in the playoffs, Jake, when the game changes, Jay Crowder earns minutes. So is there any way and, to do that? And there's certainly an element, too, of like, you know, Jay Crowder is just an experienced veteran and, yeah. and you don't want to trade guys like that away and it um, makes I, the magic more likely to say yes if it's cameron johnson too i think for sure i don't have the trade machine in front of me but i believe if you uh give up so so the other thing about this trade you keep campaign campaign is still on the roster he's just not playing in front of george hill at this point i think right if you were Especially willing in the to, playoffs but yeah in right. the regular season he probably still gets a lot of minutes right but if you're willing to forego the george hill thing then then I think, yeah, you could make it work where you give up Cam Johnson instead of Jay Crowder, but you can't take back George Hill in addition to giving up just Cam Johnson. That's interesting. Um, I, and, and again, you're putting me on the spot, so I'd have, to, I'd have to run the numbers and make sure that works, but I do believe you can definitely do it with a package of Aiton, Cam Johnson, um, and then like Javon Carter and Jalen Smith. I think those four would roughly work, plus a pick or something for Vucevic. And maybe at that point, you know, it's not even... It could be just a, a two-team trade. It doesn't. You don't have to involve anyone else at all. The reason I involved OKC was because a George Hill is a useful role player. I figured we could use that. Um, but b also because they have a couple of bad contracts. They've got Darius Miller. They've got Trevor Ariza as well. Guys that they can easily kind of just flip and and throw someone's way as as an easy way of providing cap relief, um, which the Suns just don't have contracts like that. Um, but I do to answer your question. I do believe you could do it. Yeah, I just want to give you credit for how complicated it is to come up with a trade for this team in general. Now, as the varying levels of how realistic these trades are are just sort of up to the person who's listening right now because different people will say different things. But how complicated it is to come up with an interesting trade, for you to come up with a trade that not only gets back an all-star, but George Hill, a rotational piece for a potential championship team, uh, in a way that makes, to me, realistic sense in a lot of ways, 
is it's just bravo great great work on that i think that's really complicated and uh, a really fascinating trade i'm very much looking forward to hearing what people think of that i personally <laughs> i love it i i, I just think that's I mean, the type of all-in move where i think what you're doing in that case too is you're sort of hedging your bets on chris paul getting older at some point too because then you have another all-star that's an offensive creator that does a lot i mean yeah and uh, at you know, some and point like, chris paul could miss some games He's going to get older. He might still be amazing, but he might not. He also, like, there's a chance that Chris Paul does not sign with the Suns next year, like, does not pick up his option. And a lot of people think he's going to get rid of that option and sign for the Suns for cheaper. He's not. Yeah. If he if, if Chris Paul denies his option for next season, it's because he's signing somewhere else for more money. That That's what, that's what could happen. And that could happen at the end of this season. I'm not saying it will, but at some point you have to prepare for things like that potentially happening. And what we've seen with the Suns is when Devin Booker is really the only offensive creator, the main offensive hub, they're going to struggle. They will. And Chris Paul has been vital to that. And if, if something happens with him or he leaves, that's that's a disaster, I think. So you're hedging your bets there. and You're, you're, you're providing a future offensive all-star. That now, what I will say, piece. you know, Vooch is, Vooch is 30. I will point that out. Yeah. I think a lot of Suns fans would be more comfortable with this trade if he was 26 or 27. They'd talk about yeah, how it fits the timeline fair. better. When, but when you're where you are right now, when you're already in a situation where you only have a two or three year window, you do what you can do to maximize that window. I think you put this guy Vooch, he's a two-time All-Star now, but he took a big leap. He's been underrated for years, but he took a big leap in the past two years. You take a guy with 11 career playoff games to his name, an entire decade in Orlando, and that's, that's the furthest he's gotten. Right. Um, I think... 30 years old, Vooch realizes that he only has three or four years left at most of his current play. Uh, I think he's going to be motivated. I think he's going to be really yeah. motivated at this point because this is his chance. And you've also, you know, uh, let me just look at this contract situation. I think he's got, yeah, he's got two more years after this. Um, he's got one of those interesting declining contracts. So he actually makes 26 million this year, but then it goes down to 24 and then down to 22 which is potentially could save you a little bit of money down the line or assist you in re-signing some, some key role players. The types of transactions you can't necessarily see yet, but you want to stay one or two steps ahead of might be useful to you down the line. It just, he's a great player. He's a really great player. Yep. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, and I don't think we talk enough about how Vooch looks like Flula Borg, and I know there's not a lot of people who know who <laughs> Flula Borg is, but those who do know who Flula Borg is will enjoy that joke. We don't have time to get to all the people who gave me fake trades, but there's some fascinating ones. So I uh, implore people listening to go to my Twitter account if you follow me and find the tweet where I ask people for their fake trades. I'll retweet it tomorrow from the timeline account so people can see it. Uh, but there's some really interesting ones in there from Suns fans. If you don't like these trades, I'm going to be honest. I don't really care. Uh, we're making up fake trades. They probably, none of them probably will happen, but it's just interesting to talk about this at this point of the season. But we do appreciate you for listening. Do you have anything else before we go, Sam? Uh, no, it just echoed your thoughts. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you don't spam that one-star review button too fast. Um, <laughs> actually, you know, if you're a new listener, we've, we've got a decent amount of new listeners. I try to plug this like once every couple months. Feel free to take a gander over to our um, Apple podcast page, leave us a five-star review. We always appreciate that very much. Yeah. Easiest, and we read the reviews. We do. One of the easiest ways that you can help us if you are a fan of the podcast at this point. Um, and please don't hate us for trading your favorite players away. We got to come yeah. up with content every week somehow. <laughs> exactly. This is a weekly thing. Three games that should be easy this week. Hopefully we'll come back after this week and talk about three wins. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back soon. 
Tired of lying awake, tossing and turning, just hoping for a few hours of sleep? Get the sleep you crave with the one-of-a-kind Tempur-Pedic. Only Tempur-Pedic uses proprietary temper material that continuously adapts and responds to your body to relieve pressure, so you get deep, uninterrupted sleep. All night, every night. The Tempur-Pedic Summer of Sleep starts now with all Tempur-Pedic mattresses on sale and savings up to $500 on adjustable sets. Learn more at TempurPedic.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.